0: Hi, this is John Davidson. I'm on Gilbert Gottfried's show with Frank. Oh, yes, Frank. Frank
1: is the reason Gilbert is clever. (laughs) (laughs) John Davidson. He said fuck on Gilbert Gottfried's show.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's my new favorite song now. Hi, this is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-host Frank Santopadre. Our guest this week is an accomplished film director, an Oscar and Golden Globe winning producer responsible for some of the most celebrated and important movies of the last six decades. To read his full list of credits would take up the entire podcast, but we'll try to get through as many as possible. Point blank. They shoot horses, don't they? The Mechanic. Rocky. Rocky II. New York, New York. The Right Stuff. True Confessions. Raging Bull. The Last Temptation of Christ. Goodfellas. Creed and The Wolf of Wall Street. He also directed the well-received films like The Net, Life as a House, The Lovely, Night in the City, Home of the Brave. Wrote and directed a movie Frank and I have discussed on this show, Guilty by Suspicion, about the infamous... Hollywood Blacklist, and in 2017, he was presented with the David O. Selznick Life Achievement Award for Producers Guild of America. The artist and performers he's worked with is a virtual who's who of 20th century cinema, including Jane Fonda, Robert De Niro, Barbara Streisand, Al Pacino, Lee Marvin, Robert Duvall, Michael Caine, Leonardo DiCaprio, Kevin Kline, Samuel L. Jackson, George C. Scott, Sylvester Stallone, and even Elvis Presley. His latest project is The Irishman with his longtime friends, De Niro and Pacino, and directed by his frequent collaborator, Martin Scorsese. His brand new memoir is entitled Irwin Winkler, A Life in Movies, Stories from 50 Years in Hollywood. Frank and I are thrilled to welcome to the podcast a living legend of the Silver screen and a man who once said that he had no reason to believe that Francis Ford Coppola would direct a mafia picture. The pride of Coney Island, Erwin Winkler. Now, here's something that happened to me this morning. I I went to the bank depositing some residual check for $1.19 And the girl behind the counter, who I, you know, I dealt with before, uh, she says, hello, and how are you? And then she's out of nowhere. She says to me, what does a producer do? And I figured, I've been in the business a number of years and known a number of producers, and I couldn't answer the question. So I ask you, Erwin Winkler.
2: That's a good question. (laughs) It's uh, one of the reasons I wrote the book, because... uh, uh, It could be anybody from some guy who or some woman who shows up and puts up a couple of million dollars for the making of the movie, or it could be somebody who really starts with a script or an idea and develops a script and puts together all the elements to make a movie, uh, casts it, uh, finds the financing, and and then uh, ultimately uh, gets a studio and markets the film. Or he could be, I don't know, Madonna's hairdresser's brother, who somehow got in and, and put his name on the film. Uh, when I started out basically in the uh, late 60s and through the 70s and 80s and 90s, uh, it was usually just one producer, or in our case with Charter Winkler, it was Bob Chardoff and I as a team. But there were never the list of eight or 10 or 12 producers and who knows how many executive producers. But I think what's happened is the The misunderstanding of what a producer's role is is linked to uh, the handing out of uh, producer credits, uh, like it was candy in a in a giveaway store. Um, I always wondered, and now I'm starting to see it in the in the Academy Awards ceremony how it how it comes at, at the Tony Awards where they give a best pick best play mm-hmm. award, and there's a people on the stage that I'm sure. Uh, their only uh, reference was to write a check and then probably get two opening night tickets and probably. probably never read the play. And it's not quite that bad in in the film business, but it seems to be getting there because I did, uh, uh, I produced a film called Silence uh, that Marty Scorsese mm-hmm. made, it's a very, very fine film with Adam Driver and uh, uh, just uh, Liam Neeson. It's a really, really marvelous, marvelous film. And a guy come, came along and he said, you know, I'll give you... We were we were financing it independently. And a guy came along and said, you know, I'll give you $500,000, which is just a pittance on the budget, but I got to be an executive producer. So we needed the $500,000 and gave him credit as an executive producer. So what happened is, in the old days, the studios financed the movies 100%. And in doing so, they maintained the, I guess you might call it the dignity of the producer credit. But nowadays, most of the f- films that I've been involved with, and a lot of people are involved with, are independently financed, and that's the reason the people financed the movie, so they could see their name up there on the screen.
0: So, executive and associate producer, I've heard, like, you could take a homeless man off the street. just And they have, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can name a few, but I don't
2: want to get sued. <laughs>
1: But you you are definitely not that kind of producer. You well, are not a check writer.
2: As, but, as but what happened is, in order to answer the question about, oh, about 1985 or 86, I decided that I would start keeping notes. Uh, to show what a producer actually does. Uh-huh. So, what I would do at the end of the day, I would say, "Well, I had a conversation with so and so, or I had lunch with Michael Keaton. I saw Michael Douglas, and we talked about a script." And I, and I and I kept this diary for you know twenty, thirty years, and then about two or three years ago, I asked my assistant to type it up and put it in some form, and I gave it to a friend of mine, and uh, uh, his his name is Jason Epstein, a very famous. Uh, a film, a book editor and uh, Jason said, "You know, it's really fascinating. I stayed up all night reading, it and it was. But after a while, you get tired of reading about so and so is late for lunch, and so and so didn't come for lunch, or so and so came for lunch, but he had nothing to say, or so and so, you know." And so he said, "Why don't you put it in a narrative form, and let's find out how you started in the business, not just what you did day to day." So that's how the book turned out.
1: You retained some of that too in the "Guilty by Suspicion" chapter. That's that's the chapter where you went into the diary of yes, making I, that I film.
2: wanted to I wanted to show that the, how the how the whole project started. So I kept some of those diary notes, and even even in a couple of pages, I think it gets a little boring. Uh, but maybe you didn't feel that way. I, I didn't know.
1: think so. I mean, it was just it's it like as I said to you outside, it's an endurance test. I mean, you have Hackman, you have Michael Douglas, you have Michael Keaton. You're going to give it to Richard Dreyfuss. Yeah, you're going yeah. around and around and around, and then the money falls out, and then the money comes back.
2: and then. But ultimately, Bob De Niro says he'll do the movie, and the movie gets made. Yeah. And you're often having a great you know, year of making a movie with a great actor and a story you want to tell. Yeah. But there is, there is a happy ending uh, when you actually make the movie. It's not a happy ending when you make the movie that doesn't turn out so good, but I kept that down to a minimum in the book. I try to keep (laughs) how many bad movies there are. You're brave to mention them.
0: You you mentioned, uh, since you don't want to mention a bad film. You can. uh, (laughs) Uh, Revolution with Al Pacino. Right. Well, what happened
2: was we had a really I was fascinated that, first of all, there had been very, very few films about the American Revolution. Yeah, not many. Uh, so there was drums along the Mohawk and a couple of others, but not many. So I thought, you know, uh, I had this kind of idea that fit in with the Vietnam War, that basically, what would happen to a man who is uh, forced to fo- follow his son? who had been drafted or who enlisted in the army, and what happens to the family? What happens to the soldier? What happens to the father? And maybe it had something to do with my own relationship with my boys. And uh, I had that Robert Dylan uh, uh, wrote a really, really good script and then I made some really terrible mistakes. I really, really screwed up badly. I mean, why do I hire a British director to do a movie about the American Revolution? You when the British lose, obviously. So that was my first mistake. Then I agreed to shoot it in England. Now, look at it again. How stupid can you be? I had an American Revolution shoot in and so, by the way, I, I shouldn't have been surprised when I got a lot of hostility when, when I started to shoot the movie. Uh, and uh, I and it was financed by a British company. So, basically, it was very – but what happened is Hugh Hudson, who had a great visual sense, he had done Tarzan and he had done – Chariots uh, of Fire. Chariots yeah. of Fire, which and was an, an Academy Award-winning movie uh, – but also, that was a very British film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't have an American sensibility. And I he was see. a very nice guy, but he, he, I think he instinctively knew he was in the wrong place also because he spent his time really setting up these incredible shots of cannon going off and soldiers marching in these stupid ways that they, they did in those days and, and the American guerrillas and the cruelty of it all. And I think he just couldn't find... That key that you need, and Al, who is a, a whose life is acting, and he's a you know great actor, uh, and the vision of Al trying to get you you Hudson's attention so they can talk about what his character needed and had to do, uh, and you was busy kind of getting the cannons all ready to shoot. So uh, and then oh the weather was terrible. We were in a in, in the worst part of England, the northern part of England. Um, it rained all the time, so the schedule was wrong. I mean, we couldn't live by the schedule, so the money got short. It was, and uh, so what happened is you couldn't get a good meal in this little town in England. So <laughs> Margo and I, we, we went— if For a uh,
1: New Yorker, that's unacceptable. Oh, especially— yeah, Right.
2: <laughs> so what we did is when the, when, the, when the driver took the film into London to get the dailies printed— we used to have them stop off at uh, one of the markets and bring back food so, they could get, so we didn't have to eat only frozen peas. <laughs> and uh, so the crew was a little jealous of uh, us eating kind of, uh, you know, frankly much better than they were. Um, so it was not a happy experience. And it was not Al Pacino happy. got pneumonia. He got pneumonia and I got sick, but I got sick in the head. So. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, Erwin, to to your
1: credit, you opened the chapter on Revolution by putting in the Stinker's Bad Movie Awards, winner of 1985. Well, you win all kinds
0: of awards. Sometimes they're the Stinker (laughs) Awards. And, you know, it's funny, and that explains something about movies, is that your description of a father following his son into battle and how it affects, I think, wow, that sounds like a great movie. I'm glad I didn't ask you for the money. (laughs) You ever done an interview
1: before where the first thing they brought up is revolution?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why aren't we talking about Raging Bull or Goodfell? No, we'll get
1: to him for sure. I
2: just want to talk about you being from Coney Island. Gilbert's yeah. also I Gilbert's know, I,
1: we, we talk, ne- neck of yeah. the woods. And you worked on the boardwalk. I mean, the Yeah, that was my first job.
2: At, I, I was in high school, and in the summers, most of the, either you hung around on the beach or you got a job, and I was always kind of motivated to work, so... I got a job uh, at, a, at a, on the boardwalk on a bumper car ride where, you know, where people have these electric sure. cars yeah, in and Hall. they bump into each other. And mm. well, my job was to separate them, you know, which really <laughs> taught me something that I used later in life as a producer. Because everybody in Hollywood is always fighting and bumping into each other. You need somebody to kind of separate them and keep them apart and keep them calm. So I, I got a good lesson.
1: And you just escaped to the movies every every chance you got.
2: Yeah, we went to a lot of movies, and uh, there were two big theaters in Coney Island. Uh, One uh, showed, like, the MGM movies, and that's when I saw Gone with the Wind. Do you you remember the
1: names of those theaters? I'm wondering um, if they were still there when Gilbert was...
2: I don't know. I I don't remember. But there were two. They were both on Surf Avenue down there, like... 19th Street or 18th Street. Did that ring in, any bells, uh, Bill? Right, mm-hmm. out no, Avenue.
0: no. Yeah.
2: And there were those big, you know, thousand-seat theaters that you'd... You Show know, places, Now, now yeah. they're a 10 multiplex. I know. You know? Uh, and then on, on on Friday nights, we Friday nights with the MGM, we, and then Saturday nights we used to see like the Warner Brothers movies, and it was, uh, you know, more of the guys together. Um, on Friday night it was the romance movies, and that's when you took a date.
0: And and just talking about movie theaters is something Frank and I discuss a lot here. And I always get depressed because I think now talking movie theaters is like saying vaudeville. Soon.
2: Well, you know, my my uh, uh, model, my, my wife's mother and father were vaudeville performers. Um, actually, uh, her mother uh, performed Beethoven's Violin Concerto while she was doing a backbend on her toes. Wow. That was vaudeville. life. <laughs> And her father did a sand dance. You know what a sand dance is? Sure, you put sand yeah. on the stage and oh, you yes, shuffle. Oh yes, yes, yes. Well, I've talked to—I mean, some of the on Creed and Creed Two, uh, both directors were 29 years old when we started. Ryan Coogler uh, in Creed, and um, they, the these directors, when I said, they said, "What did you know? What is, where's where's Margaret? They all like her and all." And, and they, when they found out that her mother and father were performers, and I would say they were in vaudeville, they had no idea what vaudeville was. Unbelievable. The term didn't even mean anything to them. That's incredible. Wow. Are, are you surprised by that? I way? am surprised. They didn't know because the word they're in Because they're in show business. They didn't, I didn't know the word think they the would have just picked yeah, it up somewhere. They didn't know the word vaudeville. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. And,
0: and the places where they were watching movies were former vaudeville houses. Many, Most of them were, cases. sure.
2: That's where the word Nickelodeon, you should pardon the expression, comes from. You gave us a
0: segue there, but we won't take it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I gave you the chance. Now, yeah. Now to show that you actually have made a good movie. <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> I think they're all in the intro.
0: Yeah. All right. Let, let's talk about Raging Bull. Okay. Terrific film. Thank you. And I think you said that you had so much, you had a lot of freedom with Raging Bull because they were all concentrating on Heaven's Gate, on Heaven's yeah. Gate. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Heaven's Gate was a
2: big, a very expensive, over budget film that the studio was really uh, uh, very, very in, uh, upset about and very involved with. So they uh, they kind of let us alone, and we had done Rocky for them, which was such a big uh, financial and critical success, one best, best, best picture, picture yeah. award. And so they they kind of had a lot of confidence in in Bob Charnoff and I and what we were doing. So they kind of let us alone. And we made the picture really the way we wanted.
1: Was, uh, was there a, was there a small threat involved?
2: Uh, well, what happened was uh, they had no intention of making Raging Bull. They they didn't want to make it. They they thought that Jake LaMotta character was a uh, as they as they said in a meeting with Bob De Niro and Marty Scorsese and I. They said to Bob De Niro, "What do you want to play this man? He's a cockroach." So that's how they looked on it. They they really didn't have any faith in it. Um, and we said, okay, well, maybe so, but we're not going to make Rocky two unless you make Raging Bull. So that was the kind of deal we made.
0: And and I think you said the original script was a very stock, cliche fight script. I don't think I said cliche, but yeah. I think it, was,
2: uh, it didn't have passion. It was structurally very, very finely done, but I don't think it had the passion. And what happened was... Marty and Bob went off and they went down to the Caribbean to a little island and they checked into a hotel and they spent three weeks just living the script, going over the scenes, doing the dialogue for the scenes. And they came back with this film you see with all the passion that you see in the film.
1: Have two executives ever been so wrong about a movie? Have, has history ever proven two yeah, executives? Well, so I mean, they,
2: and that's the, it's not the first. Bad decision. I know, but I mean, when, when you
1: consider how revered and, and yes. highly regarded Raging Bull is, I mean, uh, you know. But
2: by the way, the same thing about Rocky.
1: That's film of the decade. Yeah,
2: same thing about yeah. Rocky. Yeah, studio didn't want to make it. We had to drag them to the starting post.
1: Yeah, as long as you're talking about Rocky, I just want to ask a couple of questions sure. uh, about that. I mean, the luck involved you know and obviously luck plays a role in in the success of all of these situations but the timing that he was he had he had originally when he came in you took the meeting it was a meet and greet with an actor you'd never heard of
2: and, and we're not guy? casting anything either right. so. we're not
1: casting why are we meeting with this guy yeah. he gives you the other script he gives right. you paradise alley exactly. to read which was under a different title right. and then and then as an afterthought oh i've also got this boxing idea right. and the luck of that you and bob Chardoff, your partner were the, thinking about doing a boxing picture.
2: Yes, just coincidentally. Just coincidentally.
1: And so, the second magical coincidence was you had that special deal with UA.
2: Right, where, where we could put a picture to them and force, force them to make right. a film. Yeah. So he
1: walked in the right room and He walked at the, in the right, right time. time.
2: I and mean, it certainly was the right time for us. But you know what? We made the movie. We made it cheaply. We shot it in 28 days. The average movie is about 50 days shooting, so almost half the time the ordinary movie shoots. And we put it together... And uh, we hired Bill Conti to write the music. We found him in a piano bar in Venice, Italy. Wild. Uh, and he was the cheapest guy on the round. So we said, okay, you, you get the job. And he wrote this uh, uh, score. And uh, we, the editor put it on the training sequence and then put it on the ending. And we said, oh, my God, this is something more than we thought. We thought we were just making... This little movie that was kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Um, the studio had said to us, wait a minute, why would you want to make a movie about a broken down fighter who is in love with an ugly girl who sells birds? Who loses uh, the big fight. And he loses the big fight. <laughs> right. You want to shoot it in Philadelphia? Who goes to Philadelphia? <laughs> <laughs> it's the Friday night fights. Nobody's watching the fights on television. Why would they pay to go see it in a movie? And you want to star Who? Sylvester Stallone. Right. What do you think? We're crazy. Right. So that was their attitude, you know. Did they offer and, him tw- two hundred fifty thousand? Yeah, they, they, they went go? around us and they offered him two hundred fifty thousand dollars to sell them the script, so they didn't have to make it. Uh, or they wanted, or, or if they had to, they would have made it with like Burt Reynolds or somebody. But certainly not Sylvester Stallone. And Sly said, "No, no, uh, Bob and Irwin promised me that I would star in it, and I'm not going to give it up." Stuck and to he his guns. Out. Good yeah. for
1: him. Good for him.
2: He believed in himself, which is what the movie is about, really. Tell tell
1: Gilbert that Paddy Chayefsky story to before you jump off Rocky.
2: Well, what happened was uh, there were five really, really good movies uh, nominated. In those days, there were only five films nominated for an Academy or whatnot, not like today when you can be up to 10. Uh, So the five nominated films were really, really... uh, All the President's Men, a great, great Mm -hmm. movie. Taxi Driver... Another great movie, Network. I mean, you can't get much better than Network, right? And Bound for Glory, which is okay, yeah, not, Hal, not as good. good. Yeah, good movie. And Rocky. Uh, we didn't think we had a chance to win, but we were the, the favorite, and uh, uh, because we had won the Golden Globe. Anyhow, at the at the Los Angeles Film Critics Award, they voted, and we were at the uh, ceremony, and when they announced it, and I was standing next to Patricelli, who was this great writer of Network. And uh, uh, when they announced that Rocky and Network were tied, that was the best winner, I turned to Paddy I put up on my hand, I said, congratulations. He said, I hope you die. <laughs> I knew you'd like that one, Gil. <laughs> so the competition is always there. Unbelievable.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you paid for the new ending yourself. You would, yeah, you would well, studio, out of your pockets. the studio
2: wouldn't pay for the ending because they felt the film was good enough, but it, we knew that, when the fight is over, everybody was up. But then, when they walk out of the arena and it's dirty and dusty, and he lost the fight, it had no passion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Sly rewrote this, the ending so that uh, uh, Adrian comes into the ring and he says, "Yo, oh, Adrian, I love you," and they embrace, and the music swells, and we cut. We hold on that. Uh, so he's so. We went to the studio and said, we want to reshoot the end. They said, no, 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 if you want to do it, it's your money, you do it. So we said, okay, we would put up our own money, but we didn't want to put up a lot of money. So what we did, we hired 25 extras because we had to fill up the, uh, as she's walking from the back of the arena to the ring, we had to go through a lot of people. So we said to the 25 extras, okay, everybody bring a hat and a coat. So the first 20, you stand on this side you you take off your hat. You put maker. on a hat. And you take off your coat. And then we cut, and we went to the next section, and we moved them up. It said, now you stand in the back. You stand in the front. And we, That's great. It's the same people in every cut, but we just changed the ones who stood in the front. There, you know.
1: And with given the budget, who were the people in the big arena scenes? How did you fill the seats? Well, the, the big seats? arena
2: scene, we had a, a more massive problem that we managed to. What happened is we couldn't afford because the big – you know you do yeah. a fight you got to have a lot of people there so we had to fill it up and uh, so what we did is we went to a an assistant living home <laughs> and we bust these that. elderly folks in <laughs> and what happened is to keep their attention we would every hour we would auction off uh, a lottery of a television set a little portable television That's great. and we give them snacks all day long. So now are gonna had, look closer but at, at 4 Rocky. Four o'clock in the afternoon, we had a. They needed their meds, so we had to put them back on the bus <laughs> and send them home.
0: <laughs> that's great. And it's funny. The tricks you talked about finding the composer and that score is a part of the culture. Sure is. Yeah, that's going. To, the, the the Bill Conti also
2: wrote the score for the right stuff.
1: Yeah, and good that one. is
2: a great. And he won the Academy Award for best score, and that's a great stuff. But what happened was we were looking for a conductor, uh, for a composer before we hired Bill. And uh, my wife and I were in a restaurant in Paris, and we had been introduced to Vangelis, who is the man who won an Academy Award for uh, the U. Hudson movie. Yeah, Jarrett's a Fire. Jarrett's a Fire yeah. with that great, great score. Yeah. So we are in this restaurant, and he realized that he was basically you know, auditioning for a job. So... Uh, we started talking, and I said, "Well, what do you what do you think this movie needs? What kind of score?" He said, "Let me show you." And he had all these wine glasses and water glasses on it. He actually played us to proposed score on the glasses. He would rub the top oh, of the glass, and w- 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 the one with the red wine had a little different sound. The one with the white wine, had a little, the one with the water that was half full had a different sound from the one that had water with the whole. So it's a, I heard that score. We didn't hire him. <laughs>
1: That's one of the acts in Broadway, Danny Rose. Yes, the woman points yeah, right. her glasses.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Boy, the trick's of movie making, Erwin. Oh, yeah. I'm going to look closer at Rocky now and see oh, if yeah. I can see those, see those seniors oh, yeah. in the crowd what scenes.
0: What were the off
2: TVs. This is a portable TV oh, so TV. they can take it back to their room.
0: <laughs> you know, they cost like a hundred bucks. And you said um, De Niro. Well, De Niro is like famous for like just going crazy to get the character right, and and that he he trained for Rocky, Raging, not for Bull, Raging Bull. Bull, not Rocky, Rocky. He trained for
2: Raging Bull. Yeah. I mean. Oh yeah, he, he trained. He lost a lot of weight, and um, actually, he was really really good at. They, they even Jake even arranged for him to do uh, one or two professional fights, a couple of rounds. Uh, and he was able to you know it was no decision or anything but he was able to get in the ring with professional fighters which is not easy um uh, uh be- even when we did Rocky 4 uh Sly uh got hit by one of the one of the uh, uh I think it was in in when we were rehearsing and ended up in the emergency room because he almost broke his yeah. ribs yeah so it's it you know what you see in any fight movie is misses but they're close misses and so, you know it's so easy to move your head in the wrong way and get hit in the jaw. And if it's from a professional fighter, you know, it's like a pitcher in a professional, if you watch the, the Yankee pitcher, you don't want to stand in the way of a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. Especially if he's wild. Especially if he's right. wild. Right. So uh, <laughs> that happens. And uh, uh, the, the, the in making a fight movie, it's almost like making a musical because you have to re- choreograph all the fight scenes, all the moves, where they're going to be where the camera's going to be because if they're fighting you got you can't show the camera obviously so it's it's a very complicated process and
1: timing and luck again playing a role and Les Gilbert pointed out because the UA executives were so obsessed with what was going on with Heaven's Gate they let you alone exactly. a little bit while making Raging yeah. Bull and you guys had a little But look
2: you know when we were, we were, when we were shooting Goodfellas mm-hmm. you know the famous scene in Goodfellas where Joe Pesci says you think I'm funny sure Oh, uh, yes. uh, yeah yeah that was that was Joe came up with the idea. It wasn't in the script, and he had heard about it, and he talked to Marty about it. Marty, who's always open to ideas, said, okay, let's rehearse that. Let's get it down, and so they rehearsed it, and then we set it up, and we we, we were shooting right here on uh, on uh, 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 a nightclub on Broadway. I think it's like 47th or 48th Street on the second floor, and uh, that, that day, the head of the studio, Terry Semmel, the head of Warner Brothers, showed up, and he looked around and he said, what, "What are you guys shooting?" He said, "I don't remember that in the script." I said, "No, no, it's we came up with it yesterday and rehearsed it, and it's really going to be great." He said, I, "I, don't. We we we're paying for that, and you're doing it." And I'm. <laughs> so he said, "Well then, uh, okay, uh, it's too late to stop you now, but you're supposed to do a scene." In Florida, where the guy goes into, a, where, where where they go down to Florida and throw a guy into a lion's cage because he owes them money, if you remember the scene. Sure. Tampa was, he said, oh, you can't go to Florida because you spent all the money on this. So we scratched our head and well, we shot that Tampa Bay scene, uh, the, t- not Tampa Bay, it's football, the the, the Tampa Zoo in Queens, we took a lot of greenery and it was night. Throw up a sign. And we and we put up a sign <laughs> and said, <"At> Tampa Zoo. <laughs> 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 and okay. You're <laughs> funny. <laughs>
3: what do you mean I'm funny? <laughs> it's, it's
2: funny, you know. It's a good story. It's funny. You're a funny guy. <laughs>
3: what do you mean? You mean the way I talk? What?
2: It's just, you know, you, it's, you're just funny. It's. You know, the way
0: you tell the story and everything. Funny how? I mean, what's funny about it? Tommy, no, you got it all wrong. Oh, Anthony. He's a big boy. He knows what he said. What'd you say? You're right. Funny how? What? Just, you know, you're you're funny. You mean, so let me understand this because I you know, maybe it's me. I'm a little fucked up, maybe. But I'm funny how? I mean, funny. Like I'm a clown. I amuse you. I make you laugh. I'm here to fucking amuse you. What do you mean funny? Funny how? How am I funny? I'm not just... You know how you tell
3: a story? What? No, no, I don't know. You said it. How do I know? You said I'm
0: funny. How the fuck am I funny? What the fuck is so funny about me? Tell me. Tell me what's funny.
2: Get the fuck out of here, (laughs) Tommy. You motherfucker!
3: I almost had him! I almost had him! You stuttering prick Frankie, was he shaking? (laughs) I wonder about you sometimes, Henry.
0: You may fold under questioning. (laughs) We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. But first, a word from our sponsor.
2: But there, the studio would would, would have stopped sure. us if they had come in earlier in the day, you know, because they didn't, you know, they, 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 they and properly so. They're always concerned about what thing, things are going to cost. But generally, they're pretty good once they get on board. And, but and there, it know. would have
1: killed what is arguably the most memorable scene in yeah, the it, whole film.
2: It is one of the and great, great scenes, yeah. yeah.
0: They didn't want Ray Liotta. No, I didn't want Ray Liotta. <laughs> I forgot about
2: them. I said, I said to Marty Scorsese, you know, I trust you and all that, but I think maybe why don't we keep looking for somebody better? And he said, no, this is the guy. And I kept kind of trying to talk to him, meet with this guy, meet with this guy. And he was very, he would meet with him. And he said, no, no, I want, I want hey. So my wife and I were having dinner in a restaurant in, in uh, uh, Pacific Palisades in California. And sure enough, Ray Liotta was sitting at another table having dinner. Just a, a coincidence. And he came, walked over to my table and he says, "Can I see you outside?" Well, it sounded like I was going to be having a fight with the guy. You know, <laughs> yeah. can I see you outside? I'm doing a gangster movie, sure. Uh, and he went out, and we sat. We sat for a few minutes, and he really just sold me on how he would do the film and, and why he was the right guy for About it. That. So I came back. I called up Marty right away. I said, "You know what? You're absolutely right. He's the guy for it." But you know what happened? Look, I think the perfect casting. Uh, Is Sam Shepard playing Chuck Yeager perfect. in the right stuff, right? I didn't want him either. <laughs> I don't know why I'm telling you all this. I should be taking credit until, until I'm taking brain.
1: <laughs> well, the studio <laughs> was trying to push Tom Cruise and Madonna on you for Henry no, and yeah, Karen. Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. They, they insisted that the Tom Cruise was perfect oh, my God. Uh, for Henry and Madonna. Yeah. But we, we shut that down. But on, on the right stuff, I kept saying to Phil Kaufman, you know, we can get, like, Bob Redford or somebody, really. This is a great role. He said, no, no, that's the guy. And he was smart. He he just waited. He said, okay, send me anybody you want. I'll talk to him. And he kept waiting and waiting, and there was, like, a week from shooting. And I said, Phil, we got a caster, He says, Sam
0: Shepard. I said, okay. And he was great. Yeah, he's he great, great in that in picture. Movie, yeah. You know what great. gets me about um, Goodfellas is that... You know, it ends with how it did in real life, with him going into the witness protection right. program, and yet uh, he he lived to a uh, you know fairly good age. Yeah, he was in his Henry Hill. Yeah. yeah, and he was surprised that he never got whacked. Yeah, yeah, well, he was as surprised as anybody. Well, you know, he he was kicked out of the
2: uh, the uh, program. You know,
0: and and well, yeah. what got me is out. he was like like a regular on the Howard Stern yep. show. Yep. So I mean it I would, would never be- have started a call. He was yeah, one yeah, of the
2: they, they don't usually uh, uh, kick people out of the witness protection program but he got kicked out. Amazing. Yeah because he was selling drugs and he couldn't couldn't help himself. Yeah. But he came up to see me a couple of times before uh, he passed away and he was always very very lovely. Not the same he had changed dramatically over the course of the 30 years since he was a kid.
1: I want to point out your wife's fine work in that well, picture as yeah. as, uh, as Maury's wife. Yes, Maury's very, yeah. very anxious yeah. wife. Yeah, she's,
2: she's, she's great in that. She's also great in King of Comedy, yes, which I, the, I didn't have anything to do with. Talking I mean, about outside, yeah. she
1: was the receptionist yeah. who was giving him the runaround That's in right. King of Comedy. Yeah. Very yeah. memorable. Um, this is the thing about Goodfellas that I want to bring up, is how disastrous the preview was, the first screening.
2: Yeah, we, we put the film together, and we were quite happy with it, and... Uh, we took it to Encino for a preview, and uh, uh, in the first scene, when uh, Joe Pesci's got this knife that's about 10 feet long, and he's stabbing the guy in the trunk, and they're shooting him, uh, I think his name was Vincent, the actor. And uh, Oh, Frank Vincent. Frank yeah. Vincent. Yeah. Who passed away just he recently? He did last yeah. year. Yeah, year before. Uh, well, at that scene, 32, I counted him, 32 people. Got up from this, seat and walked out <laughs> of the. Downed them. <laughs> Absolutely. Because I thought it would never stop. So I didn't want to keep Oh, my God. Uh, and by the time the film was ended, two, and, two hours and 20 minutes later, the place, the, the only people hanging around were uh, my wife and I and Marty Scorsese. And, <laughs> <laughs> even the studio executives wanted to leave.
1: You thought, what do <laughs> we got on our hands yeah. here?
2: Yeah. So, uh, but we, uh, what happened was, and then we had a postmortem the next day and they tried to cut the film to ribbons and take this out, take that. And, and Marty is great. He said, let me look at it. Let me see. Let me see. And uh, we were very cooperative but didn't do anything. He <laughs> kept the film exactly as we wanted. And um, the film, you know, is now a, you know, a classic.
1: I have three words for you, and I don't want to disparage the Academy because you have an Oscar. But the three words, the three painful words are dances with wolves.
2: How about ordinary people? How
1: about ordinary people? That's awesome. <laughs>
2: Wait, well, so how about painful words? How about the the, uh, the Deborah Winger cancer movie that uh, Oh, the, terms
1: of endearment. which
2: beat the right stuff. Yeah.
1: So so as long as yeah, just for our listeners to bring yeah. our listeners up to I, speed, Ordinary People defeat Raging Bull for right. best picture and Somehow Dances with Wolves
2: they, beat uh, Good,
0: beat fellas, good and fellas and Right
2: Stuff was bitten bitten good by Good heavens. Uh, yeah.
0: And I I really like <laughs> I really like how you call it the Deborah Winger cancer picture. <laughs> it's a pretty good movie. I kind of enjoy it. I, I won't
2: deal with it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! Is that Lufthansa case still open? Uh, an open investigation? As far as I
2: know, yeah. That's crazy. Well, you know, they're going to find somebody's DNA, who but who's was no real why, because everybody involved in that has been is dead, either killed by themselves or yeah. killed, you know, killed by the mob or just died.
1: You know? Yeah. 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 Can we talk about Guilty by Suspicion? Yes, your, 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 we can. Your, oh, your, yeah. your first picture as a director. Yeah. And and a, an important movie.
2: Thank you, thank you. A I'm movie that needed to be made. Uh, what happened was I didn't know much about the, the, the Hollywood blacklist at all. I had, As a kid, I had seen the McCarthy, the Army hearings, but that was later on, and I really didn't know what was going on with the, the House Un-American Activities Committee. Which, by the way, if you're interested in the politics of it, what happened was it was really, really uh, brought to life by the Truman administration, by a Democratic administration. What happened was when China became communist, the Republicans attacked the Democrats as right. being easy on communism yeah, and letting China, one of the great allies during the Second World War, become communism, become communistic. Uh, so the Truman administration, in response to that, to show how tough they were on communists, started the House Un-American Activities Committee uh, and the hearings. And, and obviously Hollywood was a great uh, place to go to for uh, communists because there were some communists there. Yeah. But also the, the names, you, you you know, you can get Robert uh, uh, Stack or somebody to come up and testify or uh, – uh, Sure. Ronald Reagan to testify. Yeah. So you got names to you really uh, enforce the publicity of it. Uh, so I, what happened is when we were shooting around midnight, there was a uh, uh, we hired a director to do a, to play an iClubona. and this director uh, uh, was a Hollywood blacklisted director that had moved to Paris and lived there for twenty years. Mm-hmm. And he started telling me stories about the blacklist. Ultimately, I wrote the script uh, about the Hollywood blacklist and decided. It was very. It became uh, very personal to me. I did a lot of research. I felt it was a really interesting story, and I didn't want to hand it over to a director to do. it. I wanted to do it myself. So I, I went through the whole process of trying to get it financed and cast. And uh, that's
1: the marathon we were talking about yeah, in the book. And
2: and and I left those sequences of how I get, went from a producer to a director in daily diary form in mm-hmm, the book. Mm-hmm. You can actually see all the crazy moves that go on all in, the
1: lunches and you it. took with all the agents yeah, all trying the to agents get, get the and damn all thing cast all the
2: cast. actors and all the studio people to try to get it made uh, ultimately we got it made and made with Bob De Niro and Annette Benning, and uh, it turned out to be uh, uh, one of the few films uh, about the Hollywood Blacklist there's a couple of others uh, uh, there was one that Woody Allen oh, the the Martin front, Ritz movie The yeah, Front yeah The Front where he played the man who wrote the scripts for yeah. the Hollywood Blacklist the writers. Uh, but I wanted somebody, I wanted the movie to be about an innocent because the whole theory of how the House on american activities work was kind of very ingenious and and, and almost criminal and uh, ingenious. What happened is you would be called in uh, to a room. There would be an FBI agent. Mm-hmm. There would be probably an income tax agent also there to scare the hell out of you. And they would say to you, we have, somebody told us that you were at a, a meeting at somebody's house three years ago, and there were a lot of talk about communism there. And uh, we want you to give us the names of all the people that you can remember that were at that house. And you'd say, well, if I name those people, they could lose their jobs because they get blacklisted as being communist. And they say, well, if you won't give us their names, it means you're not patriotic. So you must be a communist. So you'll get blacklisted. Mm-hmm. So you can't. There's, uh, there Somebody said there there are no villains and there are no heroes. There are just victims.
1: All victims. And, and yeah,
2: that's really what it comes. Well, we had out.
1: Lee Grant here, and she wound She up, She, was she wound up in Red yeah. Channels because yeah. she because she spoke lovingly uh, and defensively of an actor who had passed away. Oh yeah, that's all a, you needed. She had a it's, friendship with.
2: Yeah, that's all you had. That's all you needed. So it was terrible very, uh, it, it was a terrible part of uh, what was going on in America at the time. And people co- committed suicide, uh, uh, people couldn't work. They, they, and I included a lot of that, those incidents in the. Uh, uh, yeah, well, you story, used Larry story.
1: Park's actual testimony exactly. at one point. Yes. And the, the Patricia Weddick character is based on Dorothy Commoncore, exactly, who yeah. to our listeners is Susan Kane in, uh, in Citizen Kane. Yes. A tragic life.
0: Frank and I were discussing the actor that Robert De Niro...
1: Well, that was Craig Smith, if I have the name right. They they sent... De Niro sent you the actor?
2: No, what happened was an actor came in. Bob called me and said, see this actor. He's kind of an interesting uh, guy. And uh, So the actor came in and I said, how come... uh, where do you know Bob De Niro from? And he said, well, um, Elijah Kazan... um, work with my father and uh like his hand called bob there for me and arranged for because bob had done the last tycoon with bob that's right with with his uh, man and they were friendly so uh i said okay i, I i'll find something for you and, and, sure and uh, and he had good credits and all that and i said well where's your father now because i said maybe i'll give his father a, a pardon Well, i'll find something first of all, he said oh my father died i said oh that's too bad he said yeah he committed suicide. I said, well, why did he commit suicide? He said he was blacklisted and couldn't work, so he killed himself. I said, well, who who gave his name? He said, Aliyah Kazan.
1: There you go. Wow. Yeah.
0: How, how
1: torn were you uh, during that 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 controversial moment when Kazan was getting the honorary Oscar and half you the know, audience stood up I, and the other half of the audience protested?
2: I, I, uh, I liked. Kazan's work, I enormously, yeah, one me of too. the great, great uh, American directors or worldwide directors, I think, uh, On the Waterfront, You Don't Do Better no. and Facing the Crowd. Sure. I mean, just look through that list of great, great films. So I think you have to honor a man, uh, not for his politics, but for his work. It's uh, uh, Look, today in the in the, in the the area of, uh, of uh, Me Too movement, uh, I don't think uh, you should be barred from looking at... Uh, Michelangelo's work because he uh, seduced a lot of young boys. Of course, That's, right. Uh,
0: I, everything I in remember context. they. I think around the time Ilya Kazan won the award, they asked Paul Newman how he felt about him winning, and I, I always remember he said, uh, "It's very easy now to say what you would have done back then."
2: You know, it's interesting you say that because I, as I was making the film, I said to myself, you know. It's easy to be a hero when you're not under oath, and and what is it? Uh, you not you're not chained to a to a, uh, a rat radiator in some room someplace. It's easy for me to go back now and say, "Oh, I would never do that." But you don't really know what you would or wouldn't do in those circumstances.
1: Well, to go back to what you said a moment ago, he was vilified as a villain, but he was a victim too. Yes,
2: exactly. So, yeah, it's it's it, you could you could be. Um, a big, big hero, you know, 20 years later in the safety of uh, of uh, where we are today. And, uh, well, I don't know that we're that safe, but... Uh, it could happen again. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, we, we,
0: they were all victims to some extent, yeah. And, and it also, uh, with the House of Un-American Activities, they had one of the crimes was, I think it was called Premature anti-fascist, yeah. Well, I guess that that it was like you were against Hitler before you before you should have been. Well, that's what a lot of
2: those. That
1: that, that was the nature of a lot of those meetings that those people had attended.
2: Yeah, absolutely. But by the time at that point, Hitler was fighting. Uh, Russia, but then Hitler made a deal with Russia, right? And then they were f- then they broke the deal. And so <laughs> you don't know which, which side to be on.
1: Victor Navsky's book, by the way, naming the naming names, names, a great book. great yeah. book. If, yeah. if our listeners yeah. want to read more about it, at this this tragic period, yeah. we had Josh Mustel here too. Zero's Mustel oh, really? son.
2: Yeah, I mean, it says people. You know, there's the the was zero was blacklisted. Yeah, sure,
0: yeah. sure. Oh, and then another horrible time. He's on the front during the depression. Uh, and that's where uh, they shoot horses, don't they?
1: From one from one depressing period yeah. to another <laughs> depressing period.
0: <laughs> that is a
1: wonderful movie.
2: Thank you. Yeah, it it it's it's a picture of where America was during the throes of the depression and what people would do just to survive. And the ma- dance marathons where where people would come in and the the question was who would survive uh, this grueling being on your feet for you know 22 mm-hmm. hours a day uh for how long you could last and the ones that last one and usually they deducted the cost of towels like they did in a boxing uh, arena uh and uh, uh it was terrible and and uh the script uh which really was based which was great based on a Harris McCoy short novel uh, Jane Fonda uh was brilliant in the movie she was a sort nominated. of turning point for her I think so. She yeah, was yeah, well, playing sex well, kittens, and she, and she was well. Yeah, when light we met, comedy. she was living in Paris with her husband at the time, Vadim. yeah, uh, and doing Barbarella. Uh, Barbarella. and, yeah. and uh, she was
1: doing light comedy before yeah. that. And, and this then was, this and was she was did Barefoot in the Park in the before Park. that.
2: Yeah, and we kind of, you know, she she jumped in and really lived the part, moved on the uh, Warner Brothers it. lot where we shot, and really lived that part, and then became really a very active. Uh, 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 anti-Vietnam advocate Uh, and she's quite and to this day she's quite a, a, a great woman
1: that cast is perfect Every yeah, part.
2: Bruce Dern.
1: Bruce Dern, uh, uh, Bonnie Bedelia. Bonnie Dillia, and Gig and, Young. And of course, Gig uh, Young. Young
2: won Academy Awards. Yeah.
1: yeah. You know, it's funny. The culture w- w- always portrayed dance marathons almost like it was something whimsical, like stuffing a phone booth or, well, or not, swallowing not goldfish. See that, <laughs> to yeah. see but that you movie, realize yeah. the the sadism. You yes. realize the, the, the terrible things that were done to exploit these like people. They were,
0: it was like watching uh, gladiators. There's yeah. in a way yeah. precursor yeah.
1: of reality reality shows. Yeah. yeah,
0: like just you were watching people uh, being tortured, and the only way out and of humiliated. it, humiliated, and
2: that's where the title comes from. The only, you know, at one point Jane Fonda's character finally says to Michael Saracen, who is her partner in dancing, and says, "Do me a favor here, yeah. shoot me, kill me." She doesn't have the nerve to even shoot herself, um, and uh, but it, it's a film that got I think nine Academy Awards and. Uh, nominations. young and, uh, Pollock. Uh, Sidney Pollock. Sidney Pollock won his, yeah. his first really yeah. big movie and a wonderful director, a wonderful man.
1: Everybody's great. Every Gig it, Young though.
2: Gig Young won Academy a, Award.
1: Terrific. Another guy who. Well, what a
2: tragic life that he had. Tragic you know, life, but he, you know, he he murdered his wife and then committed suicide. Yes. Yes. yes.
1: Yeah. But he's a he's a villain a little bit in the picture. But he's also a victim. He's a pathetic
0: yeah.
2: character. Yeah. He can't. He can't get out can't, of. Can't
0: he can't get out win. of this,
1: this. This. prison. I read.
0: And, go ahead, go. Oh no! I was just. We were talking yesterday that even if you won, you didn't win. And, In many cases, it was nothing
2: to win. Before, yeah. But by the time, by the time you won, you were dead. Really, for all intents and purposes, if you weren't physically dead, you were emotionally dead. It had drained every ounce of emotion out of you. And there was really no money. No, very little money. Yeah. There were a lot of promises, but almost no money. Because what could you do after you finally survived? The guy would leave town usually. The to gig young character and go on to the next town and put another show on.
1: These were desperate people that were starving and yes. would often do it for the lunch,
2: exactly for the, for the exactly. meal,
1: or just to get out of the yes. elements, get, yes. out of the bad, get out of the get out of the the snow. Yeah. I mean, it's terrible. There is a good in joke there, though. There is the the Winkler Travel Agency.
2: Oh. It's, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's one of Get the sponsors. Out of town. Get out of town quick. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you, snuck, you snuck that in there. I,
2: I, you know what? I didn't know that that was still in there. It's mean, in there. I looked, I looked for it. I'm,
1: a, I'm, 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 I'm anal really, retentive. Okay. World, so I looked for it. <laughs> okay. I read that somebody, that the film was shown in Russia. I hope this isn't bullshit because it's fun. The film was shown in Russia as as a propaganda to to uh, to I highlight don't... the evils of American capitalism.
2: You know what? I had never heard that before, but they probably never paid us for the film. <laughs> 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 probably was a bootleg print.
1: Can we just talk about the old days a little bit, too, because I just want to get to Elvis. I want to get how you got from the boardwalk to the William Morris mailroom. By the way, George Shapiro was here on the oh, podcast. Really? Oh, old... He was
2: in the mailroom with William Morris. Yeah. I know. He and Bernie Bostein and Jerry Weintraub, Yeah. yeah.
1: I it guess we missed out on him. but you so you guys were all in there with, yeah. with uh with big dreams.
2: Yes. And, and no resources. Big dreams <laughs> and no money. Yeah.
1: And you find yourself uh producing a movie with Julie Christie or being involved.
2: I was involved, very involved with her doing Dr. Shivago Right. And that brought me to the attention of the uh, chief executive at MGM at the time, a man by the name of Robert O'Brien. And uh we had a very, very complicated negotiation. A lot of things happened. And at one day he said to me, uh, you know, uh, um, I think I, I need some young producers out in Hollywood. We got all these old guys out there, and they really, uh, they're really they not up to times. And he said, get a script, and if I like it, I'll make you a producer. I said, well, yeah, we don't have any scripts. And sure enough, a couple of days later, his head of production, uh, 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 a very, very nice guy, called and said, you know, Erwin... Uh, We have a script here that we think would be a perfect script for Julie Christie. He said, however, we can't get Mr. O'Brien to read the scripts. He's got a pile on his desk, and he never reads anything. We can't get anything done because he won't okay anything until he reads the script, but he's not going to read it. But he wants to be in business with you. So why don't I send you the script? You give it to my boss, and maybe he'll read it because he won't read it from me. So I read the script. It was okay, not great. Uh, But I called Mr. O'Brien. I said, Mr. O'Brien, I have this script. We think it would be really good for Julie Christie. We'd like to do it with Julie Christie. We think she might be interested. Would you read the script? He said, sure, send it over. A couple of days later, he calls me. He said, listen, uh, uh, I don't think I want to do it with Julie Christie. I said, no, that's too bad. He said, but, you know, i got another idea. I said, what is that? He said, how about doing it with Elvis Presley instead of Julie Christie? (laughs) Like so I executive. said, let me I said, let me ask you a question. I said, the script I gave you with Julie Christie and Tom, you want to do now with Elvis Presley. He says, yeah, what do you think about that idea? I said, that's the best idea I ever heard.
1: That's the right and answer. he said,
2: how quickly can you get out to Hollywood? And you weren't impressed by the Colonel. No, the Colonel. When I came, I said, Ooh. I said, well, what do we do? You've got to re- rewrite the script, you know. He said, uh, we'll get somebody, don't, don't, don't come to me with your New York Ways, which was Jewish way. Oh, yes. You know, <laughs> yes. And, uh, <laughs> and, and then they, they, they and it was still the old MGM Studios out yeah. in Culver City, and they had a the whole way of doing things. And they said, now your director is Norman Torag." I said, don't I get, the, your director is Norman Turok. And I was, didn't know really anything about it. I'd never been on a Hollywood sound soundstage. I, I was a kid, and I didn't know what was going on. So, but I did say, I said, I'd like to meet the director. So they said, okay, be at the steps of the Thorberg building, which was the executive building at a MGM lot, uh, tomorrow at noon, and we'll have the director there, and you'll meet him and greet him and get to know him. Then, okay, next day at 12 noon, I'm standing on the steps with an executive from MGM, and a car drives up, and it's kind of like a, a Chevy or a Buick, I don't even know, but a kind of a like a car that's like seven or eight years old, but there's a, a driver, a chauff- not a real chauffeur, but a driver, and the guy gets out of the car and he runs around and he opens the door on the passenger side to help this elderly gentleman out of the car. And then he helps the man up the steps where I'm standing. So I'm then introduced that this is your director, this is Norman Turog. And now I have no idea what to say to the guy, it's like, you set up a meeting, and then I—I don't—I'm—I'm I'm lost for words. So I say, first thing coming, I said, "It's nice that you—you know—you got a chauffeur and all that." And all. he says, "Well, I really prefer to drive myself, but I can't drive." I said, "Well, why not?" He said, "Well, I'm blind in one eye, <laughs> and I'm going blind in the other eye." I said, "I said, wait a minute." I got a script here that was for Julie Christie. I'm doing it with Elvis Presley. I have a director that's half blind. I'm shooting in Culver City instead of France where it was set. <laughs> Making it look like France. I said, in I, gotta, City. I gotta do better than this my next time out. <laughs> that movie was double trouble. <laughs> that's right. in case our
1: listeners are wondering. I also love the story in the book. You said that they would the his handlers would throw Elvis on the on the floor no, of the what car. Was, throw blankets was, on
2: him. There were two things about Elvis. For, there were three things. Number one. When it came to acting, he was like uncomfortable, but he did it. He 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 knew his lines. He was always on time. He was really a gentleman, and he was personally a gentleman. And I, I liked him an awful lot. Mm-hmm. And when we did the music, he was really great. He had everybody come, and pizza was flowing, and beer, and it was really a party, and he was very serious about his music, and that was great. But when it came to acting, it was a whole different story, but there was one day that was put into the script where he cuts – he he does a karate chop on a board. And everybody showed up that it day. It's a karate. His friends, his girlfriends, the executives from the studio, the colonel came. And, and it was right before lunch and he, he gives it a whack and the board breaks and everybody claps and all. If you blew on it it would have broken. It was so prepared, you know. What I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and everybody, so everybody was happy with that, and they all had a celebratory lunch about that. And then the sad part was, every day when he left the MGM lot, uh, the two guys who were really nice, the two, two of his close friends, Shorty and Red, uh, who were terrific, uh, and uh, they were the ones that were really close to him, and they would drive out a lot, and they would say, okay, Elvis, now get down. And he would get down on the floor of the car, and they would cover him with a blanket so that the crowd outside the gates of MGM... Wouldn't rush the car, but the sad thing was there was nobody there anymore. That's wild. Oh, there was That's nobody wild. there. The crowd either, had gone home. Either he didn't know, or he didn't want to know. Yeah. Or they didn't want him to know. But there was nobody there. But he was under the carpet. Oh. Wild.
3: Yeah.
1: Wild. A long way from Julie Christie. Long way. The sh- shooting in Europe.
0: We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. Okay, it's my job here to bring up all the bad pictures. <laughs> cool. well, so we'll far, you're a doing good a one great soon. job.
2: Thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the gang that couldn't shoot. I don't think that's a bad picture. I <laughs> don't <by laughs> either. Yeah. It's 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 uneven. Well, yeah. look what
2: happened in the gang yeah. that couldn't shoot that. We had a terrific book about by Jimmy Breslin about the 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 mob and Crazy Joe Gallo and what was going on in Brooklyn in the in the early seventies or late 60s. We hired Waldo Salt, who wrote and won an Academy Speaking Award. Of the for, blacklist. Mi- for, for Midnight Cabo, and where's blacklist? Yeah. Uh, and uh, we're looking for a director, because we had this really good book and a really good script. So the, an agent called me and said, what about Francis Coppola? I said, Francis Coppola? Uh, he said, yeah. I said, well, let me look. And he, he, the previous film he did was Finian's Rainbow with Fred Astaire, a musical. Mm-hmm. So I called the agent and I said, why in the world would you suggest Francis Coppola to do a gangster movie? <laughs> wow. That's the worst idea I that's, ever heard. That's what we, we were referring to in the intro. <laughs> so so I, I didn't hire him. So we, but we did hire Al Pacino for the lead role when we got another director. And then I got a call one day from uh, Al Pacino's agent who said, you know, Al Pacino is leaving your movie. He's not going to do it. I said, where's he going? I said, what do you have? He's in rehearsal. He said, he's going to do The Godfather with Francis Coppola. (laughs) You end that chapter by saying, I haven't
1: seen the gang that should Since then. Since then. But But I I
2: saw The Godfather a lot. (laughs) But <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> you looked at Phineas Finny rainbow. rainbow. <laughs> Why would and you hire Francis? And you're cover? a big boy now. That's all he has yeah, done. That's it. Why would you hire all Francis all to do a gangster movie? Yeah.
1: You can't be blamed for not uh, for making that call. Did Jerry Orbach was 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 hanging out with Crazy Joe Gallo? No, or what he?
2: happened was Jerry Orbach, who is a wonderful man, by the way, a really oh. terrific actor and a lovely, lovely guy. Did you
1: meet him at the Friars, Jerry Orbach. Uh, Very I, sweet guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, met, I him met, met him a couple him of a times. times. He was really
2: guy. he played he played Crazy Joe Gallo in the movie, or great so in order to do the uh, uh, the character, he wanted to do some research and called actually called up Joe Gallo, and they became really really great friends. Joe Gallo and Jerry Obek became friends. Their wives became friends, uh, and on Crazy Joe Gallo's birthday, they all went to the Copa. Uh, uh, Jerry Obek and his wife, and Joe Gallo and his wife. Uh, to hear Don Rickles at the Copacabana. And what happened was Jerry Obeck and his wife left after the uh, show went over, and Joe Gallo and his wife went with some friends to celebrate his birthday down to... um,
1: I think it was Umberto's.
2: Umberto's Clam House. Yeah. And in walked a guy who is called the Irishman who then puts a bullet in his head. So Joe Gallo gets killed the night after that, by The Irishman, which brings us to my latest movie called The Irishman. Nice segue, Irwin. Wow. Done like a producer.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Two things there
1: before you ju- we jump to The Irishman, but it's a good thing that Jerry excused himself for the night and didn- decided now, yeah, not to go have, down to the plan plan clean bar.
0: have been there, yeah. Oh, my
2: God.
1: There. Yeah. Let's yeah. talk about The Irishman.
0: That, yeah. that sounds like a ridiculous cast. What, I, the Irishman? Yeah. I mean, ridiculous. just by how great. Oh, yeah. It, we, I mean, it's...
2: Joe Pesci, Al Pacino, of course, Bob De Niro, Ray Romano. Um,
0: it's it's a great Har- and Harvey Keitel. Oh, Harvey's in it too, right? Yeah. How'd you get
2: Pesci off the golf course? Uh, you know what? It was the personal relationship he had with Bob, mostly. Uh-huh. Uh, of course, Bob and him were very, very close since the days of Raging Bull, and uh, he. Uh, it was kind of a we all looked it upon as a kind of a, a how we reunited. Because I had done like seven or eight pictures with Scorsese as a as a director, I directed him as an actor because he was in the, in in, in uh, uh, Guilty by Suspicion. He was an actor. He was an actor in Round Midnight. Was a jazz movie I made, uh, and uh, I all the movies we made together: Wolf of Wall Street, New York, New York, and all those movies. And uh, uh, he uh, he he said, "Let's do this together," and then. So I had this long relationship with him, then I had this long relationship with Al Pacino going back to us doing Author, Author together, which is sure. a very funny, marvelous film. like
1: that and, picture. I'm sorry and, I didn't put it in the intro.
2: And, and Revolution, which is not. <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then was uh, 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 Bob, who I'd done Gang the Could to Shoot Straight. New York, New York. True Confessions. Raging Bull. Two Confessions. Goodfellas. Guilty by Suspicion. And Night in the City. city. So we had done a lot together. So it was like the coming together of all you know, all of us, and 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 um, so it it was very comfortable. And the film came out really, really great. I think it's going to be one of the most important uh, films of the year. And it's probably one of the most uh, interesting and important gangster movies ever made. But it's more than a gangster movie. It's really about relationships.
0: Um, and I, I'm, I'm particularly happy with it. Really, really happy. And what what made Joe Pesci drop out of acting?
2: Mm. I think Joe just reached the point in his life where he didn't want to work so much. I mean, he, he ended up doing it. Maybe other people never came to him with the same kind of script, but he loves to play golf and he just didn't want to... He's uh, kind
1: of shy and, and, and humble, isn't very, he? Is, is very, very shy. I remember his Oscar very, speech very, very was inv- all of three I mean, words.
2: Very shy. And interesting enough, the funniest guy is Al Pacino. Interesting. Who is really incredibly smart, really, really funny, interesting guy, yeah.
1: Let, let but let me, I think,
2: by the way, what drew everybody together was Bob De Niro. Bob had this passion for this project. He and Jane Rosenthal and... They really wanted to make it, and and Bob was really on top of everybody to get it done. He really was, and everybody came in to Bob.
1: Terrific. I, I, I want to ask about a couple of other projects that you're still working on. Mm-hmm. You still you're still determined to make that Gershwin
2: picture. Yeah, we we I I think we're going to do it this time. That's wonderful. John Carney, who uh, is a, a Welsh a filmmaker who did a couple of interesting movies, he did. Uh, once, which became a oh, Tony yeah. winning that play movie. on Broadway. He did another called Sing Street, which is coming to uh, Off-Broadway next year. Um, wrote a wonderful treatment that the Gershwin family approved of uh, that we're going to go into script on. Very nice. So that's a project that I've been involved with for 30-some-odd years. Yeah.
1: I mean, I know you on had Daniel Day-Lewis of, and Tom Hanks. Uh, that's to right, for it at one George and
2: Ira, yeah. yeah. And uh, well, we couldn't get it done. So we're, we're on that uh we're probably uh, uh, we're going to do it. I, I, I came across a, a documentary about uh, a young man in West Virginia who got into a, a ski accident and had brain damage, and um, his parents couldn't do anything. I, I mean, they tried everything to, to get him to, to speak, to function, and in desperation, they hired a music therapist. And for some strange reason, they also hired a documentary crew to follow him around. I don't know why they did it. And so I saw this documentary about how this, you actually see the moment when the music therapist gets this boy who can't eat, can't do anything, to blow into a little pipe um, or a little accordion, a little uh, horn. And uh, you see the process. And at the end of four years, the young man graduates from high school. And it's a wonderful story about about how this music can... And I think there's something in how our brain rea- operates and reacts to certain sounds, and music is one of them. You
1: should see this documentary that Gil- that, uh, that Gilbert's featured in.
0: Oh, Life Animated. About a boy that... It was about an autistic boy who couldn't communicate with his parents or anybody, and he was falling deeper and deeper into autism, And he, but he was in love with Disney animated features. And one day, his father put on a puppet on his hand of my character, the Parodiago from Aladdin, and he started to imitate me, and his son had a conversation with the puppet. Really? Yeah. Like, that was a, a normal real...
2: conversation, not an artistic conversation.
0: Yeah, yeah. He had an actual conversation. He saw this as an old friend. Wow! Yeah, it drew him out. What's it called? A uh, life animated. I yeah, I give it, it a look. look. I'm going to look at it. Yeah. yeah.
2: Anyway, so, so those are a couple of things we're working on. We're also
0: working on Creed Three. We're going to Creed Three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and jumping back to the blacklist, one funny story you told was about I think it was Harry Warner. Oh yeah. No, what happened is
2: uh, uh, I live. Um, in a house in Beverly Hills that was once owned by a, a film producer who was um, the son-in-law of Harry Warner. Uh, and during the black, blacklisting period, he called his son-in-law and said, uh, "I understand you're involved with communists." And he said, "No, no, Harry, uh, I belong to the Young Anti-Communist League." And he said, "I don't care what kind of communist you are, get out." <laughs> <laughs>
0: Now my other favorite topic, Nazis. Oh, you're going to ask about music box. Yes. Yeah. Tell us about that. How that came about. Well, actually, it's a, a, a
2: lot of coincidence there, which I I, I documented in, in in the book because I it's almost unbelievable. What happened is I read in the paper at, uh, some years ago uh, about this auto worker who uh, came from uh, Germany or came from yeah Germany. Uh, and was being accused by the Justice Department of being uh, falsifying his application for citizenship. And they had found that uh, he was a concentration camp guard called Ivan the Terrible, by the way. So I, I had done a very film that I was very proud of uh, 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 with Deborah Winger, by the way, called Betrayed, about the infiltration of the right-wing uh, uh, militant group. And Joe had written a very good script. So I said to Joe, why don't we do it? Joe Westerhouse? Thing? Why don't we do a film about this kind of man who is a grandfather who has brought up his children in America? Seems like a perfect citizen, but yet we don't know that much about our parents' the background. Is he was a, a killer? He murdered thousands and thousands of Jews. So Joe said, "Yeah, you know, that's a good idea," and he wrote the script, and we made the film with Jessica Lange playing the mother, the 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 daughter who is a lawyer, by the way, and defends her father and then finds out he actually did all these horrible things. Uh, So two years or three years after the film is finished, Joe Asterhaus writes me a letter, which I reprinted in the book in its full, because it's almost his father, and Joe lives in Cleveland, by the way, his father is accused of being uh, a Nazi during the Second World War and involved in Hungary, in the murder of many, many Jews and other people uh, during the Second World War. Incredible. So it's the same story, but years later, and he had no idea, and, in, and he wrote me this letter telling me that this has happened, the Justice Department. He never wanted to speak to his father again. Uh, he, they had the proof that his father was this terrible person, and it was his loving father that he, and as it turned out, his father passed away before they uh, uh, deported him. But that's wow. an
0: incredible story. It's, li- it's
1: life imitating yeah. art. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Good film, by the way.
0: Very good. So was Betrayed. Uh, yeah. And wasn't it supposed to be that you, you wanted Sidney Pollock to direct it? But he no, won- I wanted Sidney Pollock to direct the right stuff. Yeah. And but, uh, oh, no, but I thought there was something. That you wanted Pollock with uh, the music box, but you wanted a happy ending. No, Oh, that's a different Pollock. That yeah, was oh, the a, studio head. Oh, okay. It oh, wasn't Sidney Oh, Pollock. Tom yeah. Pollock.
2: It was Tom, oh, Tom okay. Pollock, <laughs> who was the head of Universal, <laughs> right, who said, right. yeah, I'll do the movie, but you have to have him be innocent. And I said, what's the point of <laughs> it in the movie?
0: So a yeah. happy ending about a Nazi killer. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we well, let's say to our
1: listeners that music box is definitely one to watch.
2: Yes, it, it is. Yeah.
1: Thank you. And is, yeah. as is Betrayed. Both yeah. directed by the same director, same, uh, Co- Costa, Costa Gavis.
2: Gavis. By the way, Costa Garver's told me a, an interesting story. Uh, I said to Costa once, Why don't you do a kind of a romance or something? You really, you know, because he had a nice sense of humor and all that and he had a great smile. And I said, You always do these political films. All of them, very heavy. He did Z, sure. and some really, missing. really good, good and missing. Yeah. Uh, and really, really, I said, Why don't you ever do a, why do you do all these political He said, I don't do political films. I said, What do you mean you don't do political <laughs> films? <laughs> He said, I'll tell you what a political film is. He said, I grew up in a small town in Greece after the Second World War. We were poverty-stricken. But every Saturday, a man would troop up to the center of town with a can of film, and he'd put up a big white sheet in the center of town. And he'd show us, he was from MGM, and he showed us Singing in the Rain. Or he showed us an Esther Williams movie in full color. Wow. We looked at that, and we said, that's America? that's America? He said, that's a political film. Wow. Oh. When you think about it, think about the end of the Second World War, poverty in you know, Greece town, and this is what you're seeing of America. You want to be there, you want to love. and America is still the outpost of great, great freedom. I got into a cab uh, just two days ago, and and, and I don't know why you guys talking, what do you do, and all that, and I didn't, I never tell them what I do, but, the guy said he said to me, I said, Well, where do you come from? Because he had a little accent. He said, I come from Guiana. I said, Well, how long have you been here? He said, Thirty-two years. I said, How long have you been driving the cab? Oh, he said, I've been doing it for 32 years. I said, Well, you have a, you know, everything good? He said, Yeah, I have two two of my my two daughters, I got twins, they're going to college. And he said, America is the greatest place in the world. He said, I have I support my blind brother in Guiana. I send my two girls to college. He said, "America is the greatest." And I drive this cab and I make a living. And I send my daughters to college and I support my blind brother. It was a wonderful story That's about nice. America.
1: That's nice. About an immigrant, by the way. Sure. It. I try to I try to engage with cab drivers because yeah. you always get you yeah. always get an interesting yeah. story. What um, I got a question for you about the right stuff. Why didn't John Glenn like the way uh, Wolf portrayed him in the novel? And did you have to? Uh, well, he, Ed John, Harris was had some pressure on him. Playing that. Not part. only
2: that, what happened was he was such an important senator. As a matter of fact, he was you know talking about running for president. Sure. He didn't like the po- his I don't know why. I thought we portrayed him as a. great He American. still didn't like no. it.
1: Even it, didn't well, like it. Didn't.
2: As a matter of fact, he went to the. De- 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 we had gotten the approval of the f- Defense Department to use Edwards Air Force Base and to use a, 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 an aircraft carrier, uh-huh. and they were very cooperative because they loved Tom Wolfe's book. He went to them and put a lot of pressure on them to withdraw permission, and they did, and. Bob Chardoff got on a plane and went to Washington, spoke to the uh, like a, just a bureaucrat, and got him to agree in spite of the pressure from a, a, yeah. you know, the head. Of, and he was ahead of some important committee, yeah. uh, Glenn. And the guy just thought that was the right thing to do and took all the pressure. And he did. He said, "I want to do this." One of the
1: things, produ- one of the other things, producers do.
0: Yes, <laughs> yes. Amongst, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, putting and, out fires. And another favorite topic. That I, that I used all my strength to hold off is Sharon Stone's Pussy. Oh,
1: wow. you're, ta- oh you're talking about how you didn't want to make Basic Instinct. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah.
2: she she wasn't involved in it when I uh, when I was shortly involved in it. Um, what happened was I Joe, Joe Esterhaus, who wrote it, uh, asked me to get involved, and I did, and then they brought in a uh, director that I didn't like and didn't like me because I was now directing myself. And I think he was very nervous about me. And then he came to my house with Joe Estherhouse, House, and he told me what he was going to do with, uh, with the nudity and full, full, full frontal nudity. And he was going to show sex scenes that they've never been shown before. And at one point, I said to him, you know what? I'm going to go upstairs to my bathroom. I'm going to take a shower because I really feel dirty. <laughs> and when I come down and I'm all clean, I'd like you to be gone. And he left, and then I withdrew from the film.
0: So you weren't around for— uh, No, was, he was, he withdrew. was before, he withdrew from the picture.
2: Yeah, I withdrew before Sharon Stone came around. Yeah. But she did a really good job.
0: I mean, Yeah.
2: Became a star. Marty Scorsese thought she, in, in Casino she was absolutely great. Yeah. She, she was. She was a fine actress. She fine was. Fine actress. Yeah. yeah.
1: I just want to ask about uh, somebody who comes up in the book and somebody who Gilbert interacted with a little bit, and that's your friend Alan King.
3: Oh yes. yeah.
1: Yeah. Cuz I, I want to go back just a second just to give this context too. In the mailroom days when you were at William Morris, one of your jobs was going was being a professional clapper.
2: That's right. And I, worked, <laughs> and, I worked on the Buddy wow. Hackett and the Walter Winter show. Well, the Buddy Hackett show.
1: He used to go sitting oh. He used to go sit in the audience. Yeah,
2: I used to sit in the audience and play, I would get 5 bucks for clapping. <laughs> Half hour's worth of clapping, you know it was
1: five bucks and was was it you or your partner Bob that was that was handling Jackie Mason
2: Bob charterter was, yes. yeah yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, and but you
1: got to know Alan
2: I got to know Alan I cast him in uh uh, uh author author yeah. that was the first yep, time yep. Um, and then he worked a night in the city for me, but we became very, very good friends and um, it's interesting Alan uh, Came to stay with us uh, when he was very sick and he was—he had cancer and he was going to die. But he had, a, he, he had a part in the movie and he came out to L.A. And um, he was a wonderful, wonderful man. He was a renaissance man. He was a comedian, a actor. Funny, funny man. He was a great tennis player, a great golfer. He could do everything. So anyhow, so he was staying at, at the guest house. We have a small guest house uh, next to my house. And he and Jeanette were staying at the guest house, and they walked from the guest house over to my house. We had a little dinner party in his honor. And he could hardly make it because the cancer was so terrible. And Jeanette had to help him walk in. And as he approached the dining room and all the friends were sitting there, Alan threw his shoulders back and his chest out and walked in like there was nothing in the world wrong with him. It was just wonderful to see this man and so brave and so... Uh, wonderful, uh, engaging. I never forgot that picture of Alan putting them, walking in like an actor.
0: And, a and nice he, story. So I guess he was like, like a lot of those actors who are near death, but if you yell action, that's right. They, they they give you action. They, they
2: tough
1: they it out. Perform, yeah. yeah. They tough he turned out, out to be him. a good actor. He's in that Lumet picture with Ali McGraw. Oh, he's funny yeah, in it. it. was very. Just tell good. me what yeah, you yeah, want. And
0: yeah. and he's in a favorite of mine. Uh, bye bye, braver. Another Lumet oh, yeah, movie. Oh yeah, yeah. One time I, there was some big show at Lincoln Center with a bunch of comics, and Alan King was the MC, and I went on stage. I performed, and you know I was walking off to applause. And I'm wearing like a, you know, a sweatshirt and jeans and sneakers. And Alan King comes back to the mic, (laughs) looking at me walk off stage. And he goes, you know, when I go on stage, I wear a suit and tie neatly pressed. My hair is coiffed. And then he comes out. Looking like you rolled around in shit. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I
1: love it. Oh, we're going to let you out of here, Erwin, but tell us one oh, story. Go two, ahead. Two you got, things. You got more. Well, this is, this is the mo- no- most note taking he's done.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Peter Bogdanovich. Right. Yeah.
2: Peter Bogdanovich. We had a really, really terrific script called Starlight Parade. Peter Bogdanovich rewrote, rewrote it uh, 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 called uh, Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon. So uh, I walked on the set, and he there was Peter Bogdanovich directing on a horse. And I said, what the heck are you doing on a horse? And I said, uh, you know, I think the actors might feel a little uncomfortable, you. Uh, he said, well, John Ford directed uh, all his movies on a horse. I said, "You're not John Ford, and that horse is not John Ford's horse." <laughs> <laughs> <It's a> per- <laughs> the perfect
1: answer. I want to say about the book too. One of the one of the, the, the best parts of the book for me was the you you went to the trouble of putting in the back of the book all the movies you never made. Yeah, yeah, a, a, an impressive list. I mean this Warren Beatty Lillian yeah, Hellman yeah, project yeah, where you have yeah, this yeah. very funny story, the Tempest written by Ray Bradbury. There's an F. Scott Fitzgerald yeah, movie. Yeah. We should have Jay Cox on the show. By oh, the way, he,
2: he's he's great. Yeah, is he way. in yeah, New York? Huh?
1: Is he in New York? Oh yeah, he oh, lives oh, here. Oh, we yeah. got to get Jay yeah. Cox. The Bob in fact, Fosse. I'm having
2: lunch with him Thursday. I, if you please, serious, we'd love oh, to have
1: him. The Busby yeah. Berkeley movie uh, yeah. that you talked to Fosse about. Yeah, I mean it's.
0: Well, a yeah, movie well,
1: lover's dream just to read, just these, to read the
0: books these, these and the dr- movies. I didn't <laughs> these dream yeah. projects. Didn't Busby Berkeley killed someone in
2: his car. Yes, he did. He was drunk and he, he got into an automobile and drove over on the Pacific Coast Highway and killed somebody. And when he was on trial, they made him direct his movies at night. He was on trial for murder during the day and he was Incredible. On, and, and working at night making movies at at the Warner Brothers lot. Jeez, yeah. This and, is
1: this is a favorite actor of ours, and we're going to squeeze in if you have one story about the great Burgess Meredith. Yes, well, or just a memory.
2: Uh, just I more a memory because he was a really, really lovely man and a great actor. And uh, what happened was uh, we had auditioned a lot of actors uh, to play that role, and we didn't have any money, and nobody, everybody turned us down, and Burgess came in. He read the script and he said, you know, I'll do it. You don't have to pay me. Just buy me a couple of good bottles of wine because he loved, he was a wine connoisseur. And so ba- basically, and he got nominated for an Academy Award and we did two more movies and we would have kept him on forever, but he was getting ill. Yeah. And uh, But he was a wonderful man. Uh, I can only say nice things about him. And happily, he was just warm, talented, uh, supportive. He gave Sly a lot of help. He gave John Appleston a lot of help. All of us. All of us a lot of help. And, I don't think
1: uh, that man ever gave a bad performance in never, anything. and never. Completely committed. He cared
2: about everything he did. He cared about everything. He was a consummate actor.
1: Gilbert loves Of Mice and Men with, with oh, Chaney yeah. Jr., oh, yeah. which we talked about great, all the time. Great
2: movies. Also, what, G.I. Joe?
1: Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. so many. Yeah. So many. He directed yeah. a good movie which called The one? Man on the Eiffel Tower.
2: Oh, did he? Yeah. yeah. There
1: you go. Yeah. And he was married to Paulette Goddard, so give him, we'll give him points. We'll give him props oh, yeah. for that. I will give him
2: points for that right away.
1: <laughs> I also want to recommend to our listeners "Life as a House," which we didn't get to. Thank you. But uh, but another labor of love for you, another Thank another you. personal yeah. picture, yeah. and yeah. it's very it's very sweet. Thank and you. very well done. And everybody's good in it. Thank you. You know, Kevin Klein's another guy who can do no wrong. I know on that screen,
2: he was wonderful and very supportive. And then we after that we did "The Love Together," also the good story, which I I really love.
1: There's so many that we didn't get to. I would have loved to talk about True Confessions. Well, and, we'll
2: come and, back sometime. Uh, we'd love to have you back anytime, but we're going to plug the book. Well, thank Gil, you.
1: give the book, okay. give the bigger book plug. We'll, we'll let this man get to dinner.
0: Uh, stories from 50 years in Hollywood, a life in movies.
1: Irwin, this was... A,
0: Irwin Winkler. A treat, thank you. It a comes treat. out May 7th. May 7th. Right. And The Irishman,
1: when can we see The Irishman? The Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Yeah. Fantastic.
2: Well, thank you guys very, very much. You are an entertaining pleasure. fellow.
1: Thank you. Thanks. And thanks for the years and years of entertainment. Thank you.
0: And this has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast with my co host Frank Santopadre, our engineer Frank Verderosa, and a guy who's made a lot of bad movies for a great <laughs> producer. <laughs> Thank
1: you. <laughs> and some great ones.
0: Yeah, I, but the great ones way outnumber any values. Uh, the great and legendary Erwin Winkler. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Erwin. Godfrey's Amazing Colossal Podcast is produced by Dara Godfrey and Frank Santapadre, with audio production by Frank Verderosa. Web and social media is handled by Mike Patton, Greg Pear, and John Bradley Seals. Special audio contributions by John Beach. Special thanks to John Fotiatis, John Murray, and Paul Rayburn.